a slave to your body's appetites and desires. The title for the message is Cups Have Consequences. And I'm going to take a drink from a cup. If you go on down to chapter 10, I'd like to just look at a few verses there and then come back to them. But in chapter 10, this would kind of be the, the main text that I want to focus in on. Chapter 10, verses 20 to 22. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Where we drink has consequences. Where we eat, what we take in. And in the context of this cup, which we may see later, it's not just what you take in, it's who you associate with in that taking in. That cup is referring to the communion cup. So the idea of, of what we, we take in together, who we associate with. But I'd like to go back and read the majority of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians We look there in chapter 9 when Paul says we're in a race. We're all running, but it takes... This, this race is for a, an imperishable crown, not a corruptible crown. Those races, they would be given a wreath made out of plant material that would wilt and fade. We're running so that we can be crowned with an imperishable crown, something that will last but in order to do that, we have to think about how we're running. And it's almost like Paul is saying, this is what I have found to work. This is important for this race, and here is why. And we move into chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 
to pause here and, and look at, at these verses a bit. A few things, a few, a few points. We are to learn from the experiences of the people of Israel. I see that they all had an equal opportunity of blessing. They all saw the same miracles. You think of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Moses and Aaron went into the, the palace and they, they performed some miracles before Pharaoh that not everyone saw. But when the plagues came, everyone saw those. And they knew that it was the work of God. All of those people that came out of Egypt had the same leader. They all heard the same admonition from Moses, the same direction given. They knew, they all knew what was expected of them. They had also all experienced the same blessings of provision. They all ate of the manna. They all drank of the water that came out of the rock. But most failed to pass the test. They failed to win the race. The first section there gives the things all, all, all. And then it goes down in verse 7 and it says, or verse 6, it says, we should not. And then it gives us the things that they did that caused them to fail, fail the test. And I just would summarize it in three points. Their worship was followed by amusement. It says that they, they sat down to eat and drink. And, and I think that was, that was not all bad. It was they actually had a sacrifice unto the Lord. But then they turned their backs on that and immediately went out. And involved themselves, it says here, rose up to play. They were dancing and worshiping an idol. Their worship was followed by that which was, was carnal and, and took their minds and hearts away from the Lord. Then other times, there was self-indulgence, pagan feast followed by sexual immorality. And we could go to the scriptures in Exodus and Numbers and look each of these up and read the account exactly as it was recorded. I'm not planning to do that this morning. But you could go back, you can do the study, you can look at what they did. And, and, that, and it gives the instances of where they failed. Complaining, murmuring, complaining. Not content. They were wanting more for themselves. An inward focus. Each of these areas was looking at self-gratification, self-indulgence, my pleasure. And it caused them to fail and to fall. In verse 12 it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed lest he fall. 
Continuing in verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So if the first point we're to learn from Israel's experiences, the second point is that God enables us to be faithful. We can win the race. To overcome temptation, God enables us to be faithful. But under that, we have some instruction. It says God is faithful. God will provide a way out when we're tempted. But right on the heels of that, it says flee from idolatry. Don't place yourself into temptation. Don't allow yourself to go places and do things that you know are going to lead you astray. Flee from idolatry. Flee. The scripture has a number of instances where we're given the command to flee things that will cause our downfall. Don't presume on the grace of God. Be careful of what or who you associate with. Because who you're with will impact you. Continuing here, verse 15 says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, and we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Point number three is that the spirit of God and the spirit of this world are mutually exclusive. The things of God cannot mix with the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world. What is controlled by Satan? And we can't live in both camps. We can't drink from both cups. And be holy, set apart for God. I thought about trying to have some illustration of cups of different contents. And even mixing them together to see what would happen to, to bring that uh, something visual to you. And I did, not, I did not have the time and the mental energy to, to do that. But you can mix some things and it works fairly well. You can mix orange juice and grape juice and... It's quite palatable. But I was thinking of 
of Coke and coffee, and I wasn't sure how that would work, and uh, milk, and there's quite a few things that would not mix well. I think if you mix grapefruit juice and milk, you kind of get this, this mess that would kind of get hard to choke down. But the, the picture here is that there's two options where we, where we associate and where we, where we commune. If we go on down through here, there's a lot spoken of sacrifice to, to idols. And it was evidently something that was specific that in that culture and time they were dealing with that there were pagan temples and there were sacrifices made, the food was, was offered, but then it was brought back and eaten by the people. And if we would continue down here, and I don't plan to read the last, the last section of this, of this chapter, but he says, if someone invites you just to come to their house to eat. Don't ask questions. Just eat what's set before you. But if someone says, this was offered to an idol, then don't eat it. But, but earlier here in, in these verses in, in uh, 1920, there's a different connotation here. While the idol itself we know is nothing, an idol in and of itself, it is, it is nothing. What it represents is a spiritual reality. There is a clear distinction in God's eyes between the system of this world and his kingdom, but sometimes it's hard for us to see. And here, while something offered to an idol did not change the thing itself's intrinsic value, I believe it carried a different spiritual value. And that from what I can study here, could study is that when you, they were invited to go in to the temple to eat with these people, the food that was sacrificed to idols there, and he says, you can't do that. You are associating with a, a spirit that is not of God. What we take in has a tremendous impact on us because it defines who we are. In verse 23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth or well-being. There may be a lot of things that are not evil in and of themselves, but there are connotations or subtle impacts that are the result of being involved in them. There's a lot in this scripture that I have not 
pulled out. But I'd like us to think of the, the idea of we're in this race. How I conduct myself, what I feed on, this thing of disciplining my body, my appetites, is important to winning. We looked at the children of Israel and how they, they involved themselves in what felt good and what it cost them. And I'd like to make a practical application here and, and, and think about something that we, not all of us, have equal opportunity or equal desire. But I have a question for you. How many of you believe that most of the movies that are produced are for the purpose of bringing glory to God? Any hands? What is their purpose? Just think about that a little bit. And you can think YouTube has <clears throat> movies now that are not professionally produced. But there's a lot of content, visual, audio, visual combined content that we have at our fingertips. What's the purpose? I'd like to read from our statement of faith, Rules and Discipline, part two, number eight, page 34. Under the video, computer, and other electronic programs and devices. We believe that such programs and devices have some legitimate uses in areas of business and instruction. However, we are in a spiritual warfare and God holds us accountable as stewards of our minds, our time, and our finances. We therefore ask our members to refrain from sensual or frivolous use and to limit uses of such devices and technology to those that enhance the kingdom of God and do not conflict with biblical principles or conference guidelines. We ask our members to refrain from the possession or use of commercial movies in any format, defining these as any acted out production with a storyline and a plot. And it goes on then to say that if we use the internet, we commit to an open, accountable relationship in what we view and why, what we look at, what we take in. And now I'll take you, I have a little story to help you understand why my mind went here. Recently, I was in an airport waiting to board an airplane. I noticed someone sitting over in the, in the seats at the gate, and he had a, a dark green shirt on with white lettering, and I saw the word Jesus, great big. Well, that, as a follower of Jesus, that piqued my interest. This man was saying something. I managed to get to where I could see him better, and it said, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. And it had a, a, a reference from Revelation, which I'm not sure what it was. 
No, I didn't. I didn't go look up the verse. But that's interesting. This man is uh, a follower of Jesus. We proceeded to board the plane, and I happened to be on the same seat row. I made some comment about his shirt, and he replied that we're living in crazy times. What transpired next caused me a lot of consternation. There was a tablet pulled out, placed in his seat back, and a movie that he watched for the next two hours. He had headphones on, so I didn't have to hear what was being said. But there were captions that ran the whole time, so I could see every word that was said. It was a movie filled with profanity, lying, violence. It was horrifying to see the cruelty and the vulgarity and the bloodshed that was just sitting there playing. I saw enough to regret the images that stamped themselves in my brain. My heart was grieved. Not only had I had the misfortune of seeing part of this, but this man was proclaiming to be a follower of Christ, and he was seemingly enjoying something that was full and overflowing with the works of sin and darkness and the devil. I'm not here to judge that man's heart, but I'm here to say that I know that what we take in affects us. It's what the scripture here in Corinthians says. And it seemed a very flagrant feasting at the table of demons, of devils. Is that a stretch? Does God care about what we watch? I think he does. I know he does. My burden here is multifaceted, and it it's comes down to three, three things. As I thought about this thing of what we, what we take in, especially in, in an audiovisual, that combination of picture, movement, sound, stimulation. The first would be unrealistic expectations that we can develop. And think of this both for yourself and if you have children, for your children. The power of that combination is amazing. If you would have, I think of a library because a library is quiet, you have some quiet room, a school room, and you would bring a device and turn on a video, 
you would instantly have everybody's attention. It's gripping. Now, if you would walk in and hold up a picture, you may or may not have everybody's attention. They may not even know you came in. Sound, yes, if you would play a recording, but you combine the moving picture with recording of sound and you have something that is gripping. Technology has made it possible for us to, for things to look alive and real when they aren't. And it's captivating. It's captivating to all of us, but especially children. And often an unrealistic reality is cultivated. Boring things that can take hours or even days to experience can be edited and condensed down into a few seconds or minutes. Do you ever think about that? I have yet to watch a hunting video that takes as long as the real hunt did. I don't go hunting very often. Part of it is because I don't like sitting in the woods being bored. I don't go fishing very often because I don't enjoy sitting on the bank of a body of water for a half hour doing nothing. Now, I'm not saying those are bad things, and I might have a too short of attention span. But the point is that if you watch a, f a video of fishing, they're not going to show but 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 20 seconds of not catching fish. It's going to happen. It's a lot of movement, a lot of action. And it doesn't help those of us with an already short attention span. And it doesn't create a long attention span in others. Just think about that. Kind of on the heels of that is superficial reality. I've read a lot of books, especially in my teenage years. And a good book draws you into the story. You feel emotion with the characters. And there were a good many books that I read, and I was disappointed to find out that they were fiction. Because I felt with those people, I experienced virtually what they were experiencing, and I, I knew exactly how they would feel, and I, I wanted to be there. And then, oh, it was simply something in someone's imagination. Now, I'm not here to say that everything needs to be nonfiction. But the stage changes a bit more when the novel, or maybe even the biography, is acted out to portray a reality that never existed. And it becomes acted out. It becomes something you can see what's real. There's real people doing real things. So it's real, right? Or is it real? Another thing here is the concept of acting is one that our, our spiritual forefathers had a lot of concern about. I remember hearing some discussion about this at times. Do we act? What is acting? And there can be things, people act out skits to do things and to, to for, yeah, help. Uh, can be an interesting thing to try to show, do something so someone can figure out what it is. There's different things, but 
you take that into a commercial setting and you have two strangers and they're assigned roles in a movie set that places them in close physical and emotional relationship that's not reality, that, that's not supposed to be reality, but it becomes reality. And we watch that. Oh, well, that's a nice husband and wife there, and they're hugging and kissing and all this. Oh, probably not. Is that in accordance with the truth? A third area would be amusement, carnal amusement. I knew a family that the mother and her van load of, of younger children would often make a, a 10 hour trip to visit her family. And I didn't see how the children were excited about such a trip. It happened, not, not every month, but it happened fairly frequently. And in conversing about it one time, she said, well, I'd just pop a movie in and hit the road. It's easy. Easy babysitter. What is that doing? On another flight home, there was a probably a 10 or 12 year old girl sitting right across the aisle from me. I don't think she looked out the window. I don't think she looked around her for two hours. She sat there staring at a screen of, of animated characters, blobs of color, doing and talking for two hours with no break. What is that doing? What is that bringing into that mind? And as I think of this word amusement, it's my understanding that a simple de definition of amuse is to break that apart. You may have heard me say this before, but what the, the prefix ah means not and muse means think. And so to amuse is to not think. Be careful about amusement. Especially when it feeds something that should be dying or dead. And we're push, putting content there to dull the senses to the spiritual truth and reality. And we're over here sitting at a table that is, that is prepared by the works of darkness for the purposes of the works of darkness. And we're feeding on that. Amusement is similar to entertainment. Keeps the mind busy with something that is not important or relevant. Sometimes we like recreation, and I think recreation's good. Recreation, entertainment, and amusement. Are they related? How much do they overlap? I'm not here to dissect all that out. I just want us to think about these things. What do we take in? Which table, which cup are we drinking from? 
Is it a cup of purity? Is it a cup of holiness? Is it filling our hearts and our minds with good things? The medium of video can be very useful and helpful. But let's use it in such a way as to not let it be a downfall to ourselves or our families. Be very intentional about which cup you drink from or which table you put in your home. I'd like to look at a passage in Philippians 4. I never had an opportunity to speak with that man on the plane. I wanted to. This is the verse, the passage that immediately popped into my head. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of peace, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I'd like to read the verse 8 out of the New King James. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That last phrase there where it says, if there's any virtue or any praise, I think that means if there are good things, think about them. Those are the things that we should meditate on. When you go to drink from a cup, does it pass that test? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it praiseworthy? Just because you have a godly heritage and many blessings and spiritual opportunities does not guarantee a successful finish in the race. Your life is about a relationship with God. And arbitrary rules and regulations don't bring us into or keep us in right standing with God. But the rule of Christ, abiding in the vine, walking in the spirit, communing with his people will bring clarity and direction to a life that is holy, that is set apart, that is drinking from the cup of the Lord. In closing, I would like to read Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. 
appreciated our Sunday school lesson, and I think that that has a tremendous impact on how this is fleshed out. Because walking in the Spirit, what does it mean? It's, it's hard for us to understand and to see what it all looks like. And there's a lot of, that song we just sang last, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. There's a lot of faith that we put into the promises of Scripture. We, and, and it was read in the devotional this morning, if we ask the Lord, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. And as we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to cleanse ourselves so that He can come in. And then when we're, we're faced with decisions, what are we listening to to help us find the answer to that question in the decision? Is this something I should watch? Is it something that the Spirit could say yes or no to? Can I hear that? Can, there, can I hear the, the scriptures that would give answers to my questions? Or is my own carnality giving me the answer before the Spirit can answer me? This is my prayer for each of us here today. Ephesians 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's have a song. Nine hundred fifty two in the hymns of the church. Nine hundred fifty two. Judge the moment correctly. 
Time will not. 